You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Uh, you can open your Bibles with me actually over to Colossians chapter 3. And I'm going to read this from the Passion Translation also. So I need to get there. It takes a little bit of time on this. Colossians chapter 3. All right, so this is about our third week talking about this, uh, mainly because I just haven't come up with a new title. Uh, this thing about the new normal or the believer's new normal. So we talked about the fact that that term has been kind of taken over by the world to try and impose a lot of ideas on people, political ideas, different kinds of ideas. We talked about, we've talked about this for the last couple of weeks. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, that that term, the new normal, has been used really for years uh, to try and convince people that they have to accept something and the fact as normal that wasn't normal And the fact is that as Christians, that's what we've been focusing on, we have been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's dear son. So we live in a kingdom that has a culture. And for us, there is, I think our, our, well, I know, our entire life, if we're paying attention, we will be changing according to what the Lord is doing in us, what he's revealing of himself, how he is uh, renewing our minds through his word and his spirit, we will be in this process of change. So we will meet new normal after new normal after new normal after new normal, but they're not defined by the world. It's being defined by what the spirit of God is doing and what he's changing in us. That makes sense to everybody? So this is where we are. And uh, I want to, you know, we, we talked some last week about some of the issues around the culture of heaven. And that's really what I want to talk about again today, probably next week. Um, and, and let me just jump someplace I wasn't going to go at all here. And um, here, here's just a little list. I don't have it for you on the screen, but here's just a little list. I mean, this just were, these were just things that came up in me. Every culture... Uh, what does that say? It's a set of shared values, priorities, customs, attitudes, goals, and practices that characterizes a people, a family, a nation, an organization. So the, the, your family has a culture, and it's based on what your values and your beliefs are, what your priorities are. Your family has a culture. Gunnison has a culture. The church has a culture that should be a reflection of the culture of heaven. Heaven has a culture. Heaven has a culture. It's a set of shared values. And as we give ourselves to those values, and again, this is all tied up in the renewing of our minds by by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God. So we give ourselves to relationship with Him. He changes who we are. He changes our beliefs. He changes, I mean, have everybody had their beliefs changed by the Lord? Nobody? Oh, a couple of you. Good. Trying to partly make sure you're still awake. Uh, so, so these are just a, a little list and just examples uh, of things that have come up in my heart. Heaven is it's a culture of life and it's a culture of resurrection life, eternal 
life. It's part of the culture. It's part of our value system. It's part of how we function. It's obviously a culture of agape love, love that is selfless and, and selfless and self-serving. I'm not doing too well speaking this morning. Selfless and serves others. It lays down its life for others. God is love, right? So it's a part of the culture of heaven. It's a culture of peace, which is a quiet spirit in the face of adversity, danger, or uncertainty. It's a culture of faith. It's a culture of hope. It's a culture of hope. We live, we don't live in a hopeless culture, We've been moved into a culture that's full of hope. It's a culture of freedom. Wherever the Spirit of God's at work, there's freedom, right? It's a culture of unity. And I, I want to talk to you about that. I'm probably not going to get there this morning. It's a culture of gratitude, this continual remembrance of what we're grateful for. It's part of the culture of heaven, thanksgiving to God. It's just a part of the culture. It's a culture of worship. You know, it's, it's not of self. It's a, it's a culture of worship and adoration of God that transforms our whole life. It's a culture of forgiveness, all right? All right we, we don't have, we give up our perceived right to hold grudges against people. It's a culture of forgiveness. It's a culture of miracles and the manifested power of the Holy Spirit. All of these things and many more, you can come up with many more, are characteristics of the culture of heaven. This is our new normal. And it's new every day. It's growing in us. But these things, these are our culture. The culture of heaven is our culture. It's where we are to live. So let's go over to uh, yeah, Colossians in chapter 3 and just emphasize this a little bit. And again, I'm going to read from the Passion Translation beginning in verse 1, Colossians 3.1. It says, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. Okay, so we share his new life. All right, we are raised with him. That's a part of who we are and where we live. This is why you are to yearn for all that is above, for that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural realm. I love that verse. Fill your thoughts. This is, this is a mandate to us. Fill our thoughts with heavenly realities. Heaven is a real place. The kingdom is a real place. This isn't some fairy tale. Heaven is the reality. This is going to pass away. And he's saying, don't fill your thoughts with what he calls the distractions. I love that. The distractions of the natural realm. Well, there are a lot of things we deal with and have to deal with. And God knows we have to deal with, just like we just read over in Matthew. God knows what we need. He knows we have to have a job and we have to go to work. And we, have, we have husbands and wives and kids and friends and employees and employers and, you know, all this stuff. Those are natural realities. We have to, you know, we want to fill our hearts with heaven rea heavenly realities, but we live those heavenly realities here. We fill our hearts and minds with heavenly realities and then we go out and cut the grass, you know, because for one thing, for one reason, 
because it's good for our neighbors. We, we keep our property decent because it honors God and it honors our neighbors. And those are godly ideas. Okay, we take out the garbage before it stinks, not just so our house won't stink, but because that's an aspect that all of those little things that we do are an aspect of living well, living honorably. Okay, does this make sense to you? We treat people a certain way, not because it always makes us happy, but because a heavenly reality is forgiveness and love and, and gratitude and appreciation of other people. So we live out these heavenly realities. We have to fill our thoughts with heavenly realities instead of with the distractions of the natural realm. And I love that this translation calls them distractions. You know, again, it's not that we, we start floating around and, and don't pay any attention to the natural realm, but it's not what our thoughts and hearts are full of, okay? Verse three, your crucifixion with Christ has served, has severed, <laughs> that's a better word, has severed the tie to this life, this natural life. Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life and now your true life is hidden away in God, in Christ. Your true life, your true life is hidden with God in Christ. Most of us still have in our minds that this is our true life. That this, because this is where we live every day. And it's really easy. I don't say that critically. It's just easy for that to get on the inside of you and take up all of your thought life. That because you have to deal with this every day. So you have to do something and I have to do something to keep our hearts engaged with those heavenly realities and realize that's my true life. That's my true culture. That's, you know, this and what the world is doing. I have to engage it. I don't know how else. I, I know you get what I'm saying. And I, and I don't know how else to say it. I have to engage the world because Jesus gave us an assignment into the world. You know, he cares about the people of the world. He cares about our county. He cares about our area. He cares about your family. He cares about the world. He cares about all of those things. All right, so we have to engage them. But at the, we do that from a place of knowing where we stand, knowing that we are raised with Christ, that our real life is hidden in him. I guess I didn't tell you what I'm going to talk to you about this morning is purpose. One of the characteristics of the culture of heaven is purpose. We, we live, we want to live within the purpose that God has for us. We want to engage with the world from the purpose that God has for us. All right? And, and so, these are, let me read one more verse. It says, And as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed, for you are now one with him in his glory. So as we get greater and greater revelation of who he is, we spend that time with him, looking at him, engaging with him, filling our thoughts with heavenly realities. We see who he is. And every time we do, more of who we really are comes out. More of who we really are comes out. And I just, I guess I just feel so strongly this morning that the Lord wants to emphasize this to us. Who you really are is who you are in Christ. 
that is your reality. Those heavenly realities are realities. And I don't think there's a one of us that fully grasp that. And we may never fully grasp it. We've just got to keep pressing into it. And we've got to keep meditating on the word. We've got to keep pressing into God and looking at him and reading the word and meditating on it and thinking on it and chewing on it so that we can just continue to grow in that truth. Because we do not want to engage the world just from good ideas that we might have. We don't want to engage the world, you know, just out of religion for sure. We want to engage the world with the power of God. We want to engage the world. We want to reflect Christ into the world because that's where the power is. That's where the life-changing power of God is, is when we are manifesting his nature. When we are manifesting the way, his viewpoint on something that goes on in life, that's when supernatural things happen. And that's not always, you know, again, somebody getting healed or something like that. Sometimes it is. But sometimes it's just that as you just walk with God, your, well, your business goes better than it should in unexplainable ways, you know. Your family works better than it should in unexplainable ways, okay? You get through a crisis in your marriage or in your family or in, or in something in unexplainable ways. It isn't always this, you know, um, cause and effect. Sometimes it is, but it's not always a cause and effect thing. It's that as you live in the purpose that God has for you and you grow in him, that pours out into the world. And it change, it, we can absolutely change the world. Uh, through simply taking hold and getting to know that culture, the culture of heaven, and bringing it on the inside, okay? So, I want to talk to you a little bit, the time we have left, talk to you uh, about purpose. And I, and I really wanted, it's just there's no way I can get through it all, so I'm not even going to try. We'll just stand on what we stand on today. I wanted to combine the ideas of purpose and unity, because essentially what God does is he has, he creates each and every one of us. He designs us. He creates us with a purpose and for a purpose. He sets us in the earth in a certain time and he designs us to, to carry out a part of his purpose in life. It's true, of every, it's true of every person, but you only find it when you come to Christ. You only find your divine purpose when you come to Christ. I, I believe there are shadows of it, echoes of it, that roll out of people that don't know Christ at times because I think God's purpose in people is so strong that I think sometimes we see some of their gifting and some of their talents and some of those things. Uh, but the only way we're going to really fulfill the purpose that God has for us is to come to Christ begin to walk with him, know him, and allow him to develop that in us, okay? So, so God has this purpose for each person. He's working that. He sets us in places, and he releases that, and he directs us. And, and let me say this, because we probably won't get this far. I just think it's really important. A lot of times people really struggle with this. Many of us do or, or did with, you know, God, what is my purpose? And we're looking for sort of this one answer. You know, we're looking for, here's what it is. Okay, now I know it. And now I can just, you know, focus on that for the rest of my life. Personally, I think that God's purpose for us more, it unfolds 
more than it's just one one time. You know, you'll begin to sense God doing things in certain ways in you, putting certain desires in your heart, putting um, putting certain passions for certain things in your heart, putting um, certain uh, prayers in your heart a lot of times, giving you insight in certain ways. That you, and you'll start to see these patterns in your life and you'll start to discover as you follow Christ that it feels like God is doing this with my life. It's opening up this way. I think it works more that way for most people anyway than just a one-time encounter and boom, I know my purpose and I'm going on. You might have those along the way. Uh, there are certainly moments of revelation where things become much clearer to you and you sense the call of God on your life much clearer. But I, but I, would, I guess what I'm trying to say is don't get nervous about it. We don't find our purpose by pursuing purpose. We find our purpose by pursuing him and pressing into him. Why? Because your new real life is hidden in Christ in God. <laughs> so we seek him to find it. If you, if you constantly just focus on purpose, what's my purpose, what's my purpose, what's my purpose, it gets really hard to find your purpose in that place. You need to focus on him and let the purpose unfold. Does that make sense? Okay, I, I, I think just having worked with myself and people for a long time that that's, that's kind of how it works. But I never finished the purpose and unity thing. This is good. I'll have lots left for next week. Uh, so, so he has his purpose for everybody. So we're all in that way. We're unique and we're individual. And it, it, it is, it's like, I mean, the, body, the Bible talks about a lot of different ways. But when he talks about the body of Christ, he talks about how we're individual members, you know, and the, and the finger's different from the toe and the heart's different from the ear. And, you know, all of those scriptures, we are individually gifted and created and, and, and uh, designed, Okay. But then what God does is he starts to blend that together. He brings people together. And that's what church is supposed to be, is this gathering of diverse individuals. And biblical unity, and I'm going to try to stop right here when I say this, biblical unity is not uniformity. It's not everybody come, becoming exactly alike. We are all supposed to be being transformed into the image of Christ for sure, but that's a big image. And so we are going to be individual members. It's, it, biblical unity is a harmonizing of diverse individuals. The Bible really upholds diversity, but it brings it into unity. It doesn't do the political thing of we're diverse, so we're all going to separate into our group. That's called division in the Bible. Instead, we, get, we grow in an appreciation for our differences. And one way that we see that, I didn't stop back there when I said I was going to. One, say, one way that we see that a lot uh, is people become really um, discontent in the body and even angry with one another because everybody doesn't have the same passion they do. Everybody doesn't function like they do. They're not doing it right because if, if everybody was doing it right, they'd have the same, I have such a passion for this area of ministry. If everybody doesn't have that, they're just, I'm just frustrated, you know? And we see that a lot. We see people misunderstanding the fact that, no, you are going to have, we are all supposed to be blending together. And so somebody has, 
and, and of course, there are elements in all of our walk with God. We all need to love the Word. We all need to love the Holy Spirit. We all need to be uh, growing in Him and, and worshiping Him together. I mean, there are a lot of things that are the same. We all need to have a prayer life. But there are going to be people who are consumed with intercession. And that's a wonderful thing. But not everybody's going to... Everybody should intercede at times, but not everybody's going to be consumed. There are people who are going to be consumed with the need to teach the Word of God, but not everybody's going to be like that. And so I have no place saying, you're not doing it right because you're not like me, or I must not be doing it right because I'm not like you, okay? Diversity in harmony. So God takes purpose, individual purpose, and he turns it into unity if we let him. Okay, does that make sense? All right. So the, the bottom line is, and it's probably about as far as we'll get today, there's, there's nobody is called to an aimless life. And I lived a lot of my years aimlessly until I started to discover my God-given purpose. I didn't mean to, I didn't want to, but I didn't know where I was going. And as God, as I sought God, he began to show me and began to move me. But nobody's called to an aimless life. God has a specific purpose that he has designed you to fulfill. All right. And so one of, one of the things, and I'll just give you some of these, the kingdom of God is a purposeful place. The first place we see God in the scripture, we see him as creator. He's doing something, right? And then he creates mankind and gives them an assignment immediately. The kingdom is full of purpose. I do not believe that heaven will be us sitting around on clouds, playing harps, kicking back, doing nothing. I, I don't believe that for a second. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's really active. He's really purposeful. He's creative. And he's, he's built us to be creative. He's not just random. A lot of people seem to think he's just random. He does these things. He's not random. He's very purposeful. He's, he's the same. He's always moving within purpose. And when we find that purpose, it kind of creates an infrastructure which, within which we work. There are things I really give myself to. There are other things I appreciate, but that isn't my calling. I appreciate it. I value it. I receive from it, but it's not my calling to try and go be that. Okay. So it kind of gives you an infrastructure as you discover what his purpose is for your life. It gives you this, this infrastructure. He didn't make us to be puppets. He didn't make us. He made us to come alongside him and co-labor with him. He designed us to have creativity. He designed us to, you know, especially after the fall, uh, I, I, we shouldn't be satisfied with just the status quo. We shouldn't be satisfied with just how things are. Uh, there should be a passion in us to create and to move forward and to see things change. I, I really believe that's all a, a part of uh, God in us. You know, he's, he's a creator. He's made us creative. And then his grace comes along and fills that purpose. It enables us to carry out the purpose to an extent that we could never do on our own or in our own natural talents. He, he, he floods into, as we pursue him and then we begin to move with the direction he gives us, 
His grace flows through that. His grace empowers it to be much more than we could ever be on our own. Okay? So the very first thing is to know God's divine purpose for your life. It requires that you know that you're not an accident. That you're a creation. That you were designed. Okay? And even if you're comfortable with that and you know that and this is kind of old stuff for you, understand that we're living in a culture on earth that doesn't know that at all and has been specifically taught for decades now that they are not created, that they were not designed, that they were an accident of nature, okay? That everything's just nature and two people got together and had them, you know, created, not created, but, you know, had them and uh, it just happened. It was just an accident. Some people, some of us probably, were treated as an accident growing up. Treated as an annoyance. Treated as an accident growing up. People have that in their hearts. We've got to know. And so Ephesians 2.10 is just one place. says that we are his workmanship. That word workmanship, it was often translated with the word poem or poetry. It's a work of art. Something God speaks or, or writes. He's, he's written our days ahead of time. It's, it's the word for poetry. We are his workmanship, his own master work, a work of art created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set so that we could walk in them, living the good life which he, with which he prearranged and made ready for us. All right, we'll get to, I got to say something about that, but we'll do it in just, just a minute. So in another place, the scripture tells us that we are like a letter from Christ to the world, what he's doing in our life. Go to uh, Psalm, if you're following along, Psalm 139, verse 13. Many of you know these verses. Let's just read through them. Psalm 139, this is verses, I believe, 13 through 16. Psalm 139, he says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together. There are places, uh, the Hebrew here says, the, the inward part that God created, your spirit, was woven together or knit together with your outward part in the womb. All right. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. All the days ordained for me, were written in your book before one of them came to be. And we'll probably finish up on these next couple of points. This is so interesting because it says all of our days were ordained. And that's an Old Testament word. It means they were framed or fashioned. It means a structure or an infrastructure was put in place to be used. So, 
what we have to understand is it, let me go on, let me finish this definition. This word ordained means that all of our days were planned for, all provision was made for future success. All provision was made for future success. Everything was put in place that was going to be necessary. All right, there, there are two words that we, you know, theologians, anyway, we run across in the New Testament. One of them is providence, which speaks of the fact that God provides everything that's going to be necessary ahead of time, basically. Okay, it's providence. All right, he provides ahead of time. The other one is predestination. And it says that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. A lot of Christians um, don't, or they, I don't know if they've just been taught this way, but, but they, when they see predestination, they forget about free will. It's like they think those are opposites, but God just blends them together. Predestination, that term that's used in the Greek, it means God uh, set the table. God set everything in place that was going to be necessary. That's what it means. It doesn't mean he comes along and forces you. It's, it's, this is the example I usually use. If we were going to have an event or a party or something, we'd come in, we'd set up tables, we'd put out uh, the plates and silverware and drinks and you know whatever was going to be necessary, chairs, all the stuff that was going to be necessary would be there. That's predestination. We make preparation. But it would be up to you whether you came and partook of all of that, all of that that was provided or not. You could not come to the party. And the same is true with all of this. All of our days were written. They were ordained of God. But what that means, it doesn't mean he's going to force you to carry them out. And you and I have no responsibility in that. It's just going to, whatever God wants, it's just going to happen. The Bible does not teach that. In the end, I mean, the ultimate goal, yep, it's, it's going to get there. But what our participation is, is up to us. And so none of this eliminates free will. We are still in a place finding the purpose of God. We've got to set our heart toward him, understanding, first of all, that he has a purpose for us and that you are you're essential, you're designed, you are designed for a purpose in this place. And all I can say, and I know I, I can feel it as I'm saying this, there, there are people maybe in here, maybe out there, frustrated about this in your life, you know, and I think all of us experience that frustration. But all I can say is, God's faithful to show you. Let it unfold. Just keep seeking him. You're, you're already walking, no doubt. If you're pursuing God, you're going to be walking now in a portion of that purpose already. You're reflecting. And I see this as I talk with people all the time. You're reflecting a lot more of him than you think you are. We see your gifts. We see what's going on in you that's of God. We can see it. A lot of times you don't, I don't. I don't see it. You know, it doesn't seem special in us but it seems special from our perspective looking at you. It's happening. Just keep pursuing him. Um, the scripture says in 1 Peter 2.9 that we believers, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a dedicated nation, God's own purchased special people. Why? 
so that you may set forth the wonderful deeds and display the virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There's a purpose to us, to his purchase of us, to his setting of us. There's a purpose in him placing you in this town, in this church, at this time, in your job, in your family, in what you're doing. There's a purpose to it. God has a purpose to it. And what a wonderful thing to be able to live a life fulfilling the purposes of God. And I don't think any of us are ever going to feel like we're doing it perfectly, you know? And, and at some point, you just have to relax in it, not blow it off, but I mean, just relax in it. And know, God, you're the only one that can carry this out in me anyway. So I'm going to enjoy the ride. I'm going to enjoy seeking you. So let me just finish up with this for today. You've heard this before, I'm sure, but this is so important. If you remove the idea of a creator, right, from people's minds and hearts, you tell them there is no God, you are not created, you're just an accident of nature, you're just a group of cells, you know, this is what you are, you're going to be here a little while, you're going to go away, okay? Uh, you're going to go back into the dirt. This is what you are, all right? You tell people that, you take out creator, you take out design. You take out the idea of design. If there's no creator, there's no design. Everything's random. We're just moving through it. All right. If you remove design, you remove purpose. You know, we can look at a chair has a design. And it goes with the shape of a human body, right? Because its purpose is to be sat on. So we design it to work a certain way. Everything is that way. Everything is that way. But if you take that out of people's lives, you remove design, you remove that idea, you eliminate purpose. And if you eliminate purpose, you eliminate hope. People live help, uh, aimless lives and you eliminate the sense of value, right? This, this chair is just a chair, but it's, it's not just fabric and uh, whatever that stuff is, looks like aluminum. I don't know what the thing's made of. Anyway, it's not metal, fabric, um, foam. It's not that. It's been put together in a certain way for a certain purpose. So it has a value. Well, I'm glad we get to sit down when we come in here. The same is true of us. So if you take a culture and you tell them there's no creator, you were not designed, you're not special, you know, if you take all of that out, you start seeing hopelessness. You start seeing a lot of frustration because people still have that God thing on the inside, even if they don't know him. They're creations. And so they get frustrated because they're like, you know, what am I supposed to do? They get hopeless. And I, I believe with all of my heart that so much of what we're seeing uh, Several things. Lack of self-reliance. No value on self-reliance anymore. I think that stems from no, no purpose, no, no hope, no, no initiative to get out. So, so somebody else needs to do it for me because I'm kind of lost. I don't know what to do. So somebody else needs to take care of me. We're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing a lack of self-respect. You know, people doing things that even if they don't know God, you just wouldn't do just out of self-respect. You know, back in our day, 100 years ago, my mom used to say, you know, if, uh, and she was right about so many things. 
she used to say, you know, if you're doing something well, and, and your answer was, well, I didn't think anybody would find out or anybody would know. She always just said, but you'd know, and God would know. But she was, you know, where her relationship was, it was more about, but you'd know. There was that self-respect, you know. Doesn't mean I didn't do any of them, but it was a good, it was a good word. Okay, suicide. We've seen this huge increase in suicide. It's a manifestation of hopelessness and purposelessness in life. You cannot tell generation after generation that, there's, that they have no design and no purpose and not expect them to get hopeless about life. And why should I be here then? Why should I go through this? Why should I work hard? Why should I, why should I do anything? Why should I go through any pain? Why should I do this? I think the big increase in drug use, I mean, all this stuff is because we've been telling them for generations. We've killed 61 million babies in the womb over the last however many decades in this country alone. You know, I mean, that sends a message that life isn't valuable. Now they're starting to look at old people, you know. <laughs> they're a pain. They're taking up too much health care. Let's let them go. That's not funny. I mean, that's where it'll go. There's no question. It'll come to your door <laughs> sooner or later. The answer, at least a part of the answer to that, is for people to know, no, you're designed. You're created. You've got gifts in you that I don't have in you. And they reflect God's purpose for you in your life. And then God wants to mesh those with other gifts, bring it together, and create this synergy, create this whole that's much bigger than the sum of the parts. And that's what the church is supposed to be. And that's how I believe all mankind is supposed to be, but certainly what the church is supposed to be. Okay. So those are things we need to deal with them because they are crushing our society. Just this one message is crushing our society. I know you're not raising your kids that way, but man, we're going to be dealing with people. And it's, now you don't get mad at the people. This is what they've been, this is what's been put in them. And it's, it's a shame, but we can, we can minister to that. Jesus can turn that around in people's lives. Let's stand up and pray this morning. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just am eternally grateful just for the fact, just me personally, for the fact that you went to the extent that you did to reveal yourself and that, that, I, that you... I came to know you, Lord. And I think all of us feel that way. Father, I'm so grateful that we're not just wandering through life with no understanding of you as creator, of design, of purpose, of any of those things. And Father, I want to pray this morning for people that are in this room and people that are uh, watching the live stream or people that will watch that archive later, Lord. If, if those people are in a place where they don't know you, then first of all, I pray, Lord, that you would flood their room or their car or wherever they are as they hear this message or see this message, that your presence would come upon them and that they would have an encounter with you. And that, Father, even as they bow their knee and say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, even as they do that, Lord, that they would be lifted up into that place of purpose and to know that you created them, that you know them, that you knit them together in their mother's womb, that all their days were written by you ahead of time. Lord, that you have plans and purposes and that your word tells us that every thought and every plan you have for us is for good and not for evil. 
And Lord, we just pray, Lord, over the people that we know and the the young people in particular that we know, Father, that they would come and have a revelation that they are created for purpose and that that would rise up on the inside of them. And for us as believers, Lord, help us to live in that aspect of the culture of your kingdom, that we would know our purpose, that it would unfold in us and in front of us, and that we would walk in it more and more and more as time goes on. Lord, I I just thank you for that. There's so much we could pray over that, Father, but we just agree together for people getting free from a sense of hopelessness and directionlessness in life, Father, and coming to know their purpose in you. And we thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to be dismissed. We're going to open up these doors. I guess the kids are coming back in. And um, then if you want to, come hang out. Otherwise, go over with Bonnie and and, uh, stand together and pray for Ann and Jose. And Ann and Jose, if you're watching, we love you guys. You are healed in Jesus' name. Father, we already prayed. We'll say it on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.